0: section 27 of the jolly parisians and other novelettes this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by brandon weston marguerite by emile zola translated by george d cox chapter 2 the last hope marguerite's cries had attracted attention For the door opened brusquely and a voice exclaimed what is the matter neighbor is he worse i recognized the voice it belonged to an elderly woman madame gabin who occupied a room on the same floor she had been most obliging since our arrival and had evidently become interested in our concerns on her own side she had lost no time in telling us her history a stern landlord had sold her furniture during the preceding winter to pay himself his rent, and since then she had resided at the lodging-house in the Rue Dauphine with her daughter Dede, a child of ten. They both cut and pinked lamp-shades, and between them they earned at best but two francs a day. "'Heavens! Is it all over?' cried Madame Gabin. I realized that she was drawing nearer. She examined me, touched me, and turning to marguerite murmured compassionately poor girl poor girl my wife wearied out was sobbing like a child madame gabin lifted her placed her in a dilapidated armchair near the fireplace and proceeded to comfort her indeed you'll do yourself harm if you go on like this my dear it's no reason because your husband is gone that you should kill yourself with weeping sure enough when i lost gabin i was just like you i remained three days without swallowing a morsel of food but that didn't help me on the contrary it pulled me down come for the lord's sake be sensible by degrees marguerite grew calmer she was exhausted and it was only at intervals that she gave way to a fresh flow of tears meanwhile the old woman had taken possession of the room with a sort of rough authority don't worry yourself she said as she bustled about neighbors must help each other luckily dede has just gone to take the work home ah i see your trunks are not yet all unpacked but i suppose there is some linen in the drawers isn't there i heard her pull a drawer open she must have taken out a napkin which she spread on a little table at the bedside she then struck a match which made me think that she was lighting one of the candles on the mantelpiece And placing it near me as a religious rite i could follow her movements in the room and divine all her actions poor gentleman she muttered luckily i heard you sobbing poor dear suddenly the vague light which my left eye had detected vanished madame gabin had just closed my eyelids but i had not felt her finger on my face when i realized this i felt chilled the door had opened again, and Dede, the child of ten, now rushed in, calling in her shrill voice, "'Mother! Mother!' "'Ah, I knew you would be here. Look here, here's the money. Three francs, four sous. "'I took back three dozen lampshades.' "'Hush, hush, hold your tongue,' vainly repeated the mother, who, as the little girl chatted on, "'must have pointed to the bed, for I guessed that the child felt perplexed and was backing against the door.' is the gentleman asleep she whispered yes yes go and play said madame gabin but the child did not go she was no doubt staring at me with widely opened eyes startled and vaguely comprehending suddenly she seemed convulsed with a wild terror and ran out upsetting a chair he's dead mother he's dead she gasped a profound silence followed Marguerite, half lying in the armchair, had left off her crying. Madame Gabin was still rummaging about the room and talking under her breath. Children know everything nowadays. Look at that brat. Heaven knows how carefully she's brought up. When I send her on an errand or to take the shades back, I calculate the time to a minute so that she can't loaf about. But for all that, there isn't a thing she don't know. She saw at a glance what happened here and yet i never showed her but one corpse her uncle francois and she was then only four years old ah well there are no children left it can't be helped she paused and without any transition passed to another subject i say dearie we must think of the formalities there's the declaration at the municipal offices and the seeing about the funeral you are not in a fit state to attend to business What do you say to my looking in at Monsieur Cimeno's and finding out if he's at home? Marguerite did not reply. I seemed to watch her from afar, and at times to change into a subtle flame hovering about the room, while a stranger lay heavy and unconscious on my bed. I wish that Marguerite had declined the assistance of Cimeno. I had seen him three or four times during my brief illness, for he occupied a room close to ours, and had been civil and neighborly. Madame Gabin had told us that he was merely making a short stay in Paris, having come to collect some old debts due to his father who had settled in the country and recently died. He was a tall, strong, handsome young fellow, and I hated him, perhaps on account of his healthy appearance. On the previous evening he had come in, and I had disliked seeing him at Marguerite's side. She had looked so fair and pretty, and he had gazed so intently into her face when she seemingly thanked him for his inquiries. Ah, here is Monsieur Simenon, said Madame Gabin, introducing him. He gently pushed the door ajar, and as soon as Marguerite saw him enter she burst into a passion of tears. The presence of a friend, of the only person she knew in Paris beside the old woman, recalled her bereavement. I could not see the young man, but in the darkness that encompassed me I conjured up his appearance. I pictured him distinctly, grave and sad at finding poor Marguerite in such distress. How lovely she must have looked with her golden hair unbound, her pale face and her dear little baby hands burning with fever. I am at your disposal, madame, he gently said. Pray, allow me to manage everything. She only answered with broken words, but as the young man was leaving, accompanied by madame Gaben, I heard the latter mention money. These things were always expensive. She feared that the poor little body hadn't a farthing. Anyhow, he might ask her, But Simonos silenced the old woman. He did not want to have the widow worried. He was going to the municipal offices and to the undertakers. When silence reigned once more, I wondered if this nightmare would last much longer. I was certainly alive, for I was conscious of passing incidents, and I began to realize my condition. I must have fallen into one of those cataleptic states I had read of. As a child I had suffered from syncopes, which had lasted several hours, but surely my heart would soon commence to beat anew, my blood to circulate, my muscles to relax. Yes, I should wake up and comfort Marguerite, and reasoning thus I tried to be patient. Time passed. Madame Gabin had brought in her breakfast, but Marguerite refused to taste any food. Later on the afternoon waned. Through the open window I heard the rising clamor of the Rue Dauphine. By and by a slight ring of the brass candlestick on the marble top table informed me that a fresh candle had been lighted. At last Simonot returned. Well, whispered the old woman. It is all settled, he answered. The funeral is ordered for tomorrow at eleven. There is nothing for you to do, and you needn't talk of these things before the poor lady. Nevertheless, Madame Gabin remarked, the doctor of the dead has not come yet Simonot took a seat beside marguerite and after a few words of encouragement remained silent the funeral was to take place at eleven these words rang out in my brain like a passing bell and the doctor was coming the doctor of the dead as madame gabin had called him he could not fail to find out that i was only in a state of lethargy he would do whatever was necessary to rouse me so I longed for his arrival with feverish anxiety. The day was drawing to a close. Madame Gabin, anxious not to waste any time, had brought in her lampshades and summoned Dede without asking Marguerite's permission. To tell the truth, as she observed. She did not like to leave children too long alone. Come in, I say, she whispered to the little girl. Come in and don't be frightened. And mind you, don't look toward the bed, or you'll catch it. She thought it more delicate to forbid Dede to look at me, but I was convinced that the child was furtively glancing at the corner where I lay, for every now and then I heard her mother rap her knuckles sharply and repeat angrily, "'Go on with your work, or you shall leave the room, and the gentlemen will come in the night and pull you by the feet!' The mother and daughter had sat down at our table. I could plainly hear the click of their scissors as they clipped the lampshades, which, no doubt, required very delicate manipulation, for they did not work rapidly. I counted the shades one by one as they were laid aside, while my anxiety grew more and more intense. The click of the scissors was the only noise in the room, so I concluded that Marguerite had been overcome by fatigue and was dozing. Thrice Simoneau rose up, and the torturing thought flashed through me that he might be taking advantage of her slumbers to touch her hair with his lips. I hardly knew the man, and yet I felt that he loved my wife. At last, little Dede began to giggle, and her laugh exasperated me. "'Why are you sniggering, you idiot?' asked her mother. "'Do you want to be turned out on the landing? Come out with it. What makes you laugh so?' The child stammered. She had not laughed, she had only coughed, but I felt certain that she had seen Simonot bending over Marguerite, and had felt amused. The lamp had been lit when a knock was heard. "'It must be the doctor at last,' said the old woman." It was the doctor. He did not apologize for coming so late, for he had, no doubt, ascended many flights of stairs during the day. The room being but imperfectly lighted by the lamp, he inquired, Is the body here? Yes, it is, answered Simonot. Marguerite had risen, trembling violently. Madame Gabin dismissed Dede, saying it was useless that a child should be present, and she then tried to lead my wife to the window to spare her the sight of what was about to take place. The doctor quickly approached the bed. I guessed that he was bored, tired, and impatient. Had he touched my wrist? Had he placed his hand on my heart? I could not tell, but I fancied that he had only carelessly bent over me. "'Shall I bring the lamp so that you may see better?' said Simonot, obligingly. "'No, it is not necessary,' quietly answered the doctor. "'Not necessary?' That man held my life in his hands, and he did not think it worth while to proceed to a careful examination. I was not dead. I wanted to cry out that I was not dead. At what o'clock did he die? asked the doctor. At six this morning, volunteered Simonot. A feeling of frenzy and rebellion rose within me, bound as I was in seemingly iron chains, oh for the power of uttering one word of moving a single limb this close weather is unhealthy resumed the doctor nothing is more trying in these early spring days and then he moved away it was my life departing screams sobs and insults were choking me struggling in my convulsed throat in which even my breath was arrested the wretch "'turned into a machine by his professional habits, "'he only came to a deathbed "'to accomplish a perfunctory formality. "'He knew nothing. His "'Science was a lie, "'since he could not at a glance "'distinguish life from death. "'And he was going, going.' "'Good night, sir,' said Simonon. "'There came a silence. "'The doctor was probably bowing to Marguerite, "'who had turned while Madame Gabin "'was fastening the window.' He left the room, and I heard his footsteps descending the stairs. It was all over. I was condemned. My last hope had vanished with that man. If I did not wake before eleven tomorrow, I should be buried alive. The horror of that thought was so great that I lost all consciousness of my surroundings. something like a fainting fit in death. The last sound I heard was the little click of the scissors handled by Madame Gabin and Dede. The funeral vigil had begun. Nobody spoke. Marguerite had refused to retire to rest in the neighbor's room. She remained half-lying in her armchair, with her beautiful pale face, her closed eyes, and long eyelashes wet with tears, while before her in the shadow, Simenot sat silently watching her. End of section 27